Pickle. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ferret 64 with your host, me, Yemi the Ferret, a.k.a. Yemi. Uh, Ferret 64 is, of course, the video game podcast about news, occurrences, first impressions, reviews, and so much more. And we got a pretty loaded slate for you today, folks. I finally caught up on some games, uh, finished some off. Well, yeah, yeah, sure, finished some off. And, um... Just have regular thoughts about things. We also have a good slate of news and what's coming soon. So let's just jump right into the first part of the show, which is going to be the final review for Spider-Man 2. Um, I will be spoiling a fair amount of Spider-Man 2, but I will let you know when that moment comes. I'll timestamp it. Uh, of course, and um, I will uh, let you guys know before I spoil anything. So if you want to listen to the first half, or if the first part, please do. But I would under- I understand if you want to switch and go all the way to the next section. Of course, everything is always timestamped down below. Also, don't forget to like, subscribe, leave me a rating on Spotify, or write a, view- a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate that. All right, let's jump into it. The final review. All right, this time on the final review, we're going over the one, the only, the sequel, Spider-Man 2, Marvel's Spider-Man 2 to be precise. Obviously, this game came out last week, and I talked about it quite a bit last week, but uh, of course, I wasn't all the way finished with it when I was talking about it, but uh, by the time that Monday rolled, or maybe it was Tuesday rolled around, um, maybe it was Wednesday, (laughs) My timetable's all out of whack. I apologize. But you don't want to hear about that. You want to hear about the game. Uh, Yes, I did finish Spider-Man 2. I platinumed the game, did the 100%, and uh, I still had a lot of fun with it, even even though there wasn't really much to do after the 100%. I kind of just ran around and and did some of the uh, the crime encounters and stuff like that. So what you may be wondering before I get going, how much of the game is Yummy going to spoil? And I will tell you that I'm going to spoil quite a lot of the game throughout this because I do need to touch on specific things at points. Uh, But I will let you all know before I get into spoilers, just in case someone is listening to this and doesn't want the full game fully spoiled. They just want a general vibe, overall vibe of the game. I will let you know when spoilers are coming, and I will mark it in timestamps below when the spoilers start. Um, If you want to check that out and skip to uh, the section past the spoilers. So right off the bat, um, Spider-Man 2 is a really good game. Um, I, a borderline excellent kind of game. Um, there is a lot to really like and love about Spider-Man 2. Uh, not only does it build off of its other games uh, in the series, Spider-Man 1 and Miles Morales, but uh, it also adds a bunch of new features uh, unique to Spider-Man 2, um, including the... Um, how they change they change up the gadgets how they work they change up kind of how the special moves work as well they changed up the combo meter and how you heal a little bit um, or how you use the the focus bar I will say uh, they, they just did they did a few they did a few little tweaks and they also did some major tweaks 
Uh, one of the things that I really never got used to was the new way you use gadgets. Essentially, you hold down R1 and then you press one of the face buttons, triangle, square, cross, or O. Um, and each one kind of has a different, um, you know, uh, gadget attached to it. So one of them is like a web grabber that grabs enemies around it and it will pull it towards them, pull them together so you can kind of wail on them all at the same time, I suppose, or, or do whatever. Maybe line them up for a powerful attack from your special abilities. Um, there's also the one that's like a, a concussive blast that stuns most enemies. It becomes way more useful later on. Um, so things, things that would, would automatically knock out enemies, like the impact web shooter, the grenade, those are gone from the game, even though you still can knock out some, uh, some thugs with the, with the gadgets, it's, it's not going to be as consistent as it was for things like the impact web shooter, which was obviously overpowered in both Miles Morales and in the regular Spider-Man game, of course. Uh, because you could literally just attach almost any enemy type to a wall without even without even blinking, essentially. Um, and I, I don't mind that they took those things out, but I do prefer having that gadget that gadget wheel to choose things from. Um, without that wheel, it just kind of becomes... I, I, I forget about it. I don't know if that's the same for everyone, but I really didn't use gadgets for most of my playthrough up until the final section of the game when they actually became useful. Um, I tried to use them as much as I could remember to use them, but for the most part, I was using my special moves and my regular attacks, and I got through the game just fine, <laughs> honestly. But yeah, that's another thing that they changed about the game is that you have these special abilities on on the, on the the um, on your controller, so you hold down L1 and use one of the face buttons. And there's a bunch of, there's like four different uh, special moves you can use. And as you go through the game, of course, you get upgraded versions of those moves. So obviously no spoilers, but, uh, you know, some 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 of them get pretty cool uh, as you go through the game. And, and I really liked a lot of the, the those moves. I, I mean, I would use them so often simply because, like, yeah, they're cool to, to, to watch Spider-Man and, and Miles. Well, I should say Peter and Miles uh, use use the moves. Um, it, it's It's really great. Of course, the biggest change is being able to play as either Peter or Miles in this game. Um, we knew that going into, you know, since Miles Morales, we, we kind of figured, yeah, they're probably going to do a sequel that has them both in there. And um, I think for the most part, it works pretty well, pretty seamlessly. Of course, through story bits, uh, they will switch between Peter and Miles for you, or you can pull up the phone app and switch on your own, and the it's pretty seamless. The switch is the switch is pretty seamless. Usually, Peter or Miles is in relatively the same area as the other character. Um, so when you switch over, you're going to be relatively around the same area where. So if you were if you were doing some side missions, and some side missions require only Miles or can be done by only Peter, uh, and you just want to switch over real quickly, it's it's super quick. It it takes it it takes a fraction of a second to load in, which is of course, one of the big selling points of this game is just how fast things load. I mean, when you fast travel, they literally like they literally have Peter or Miles swinging in on a street uh, in in seconds. I would say it takes a little bit longer than than you would think, but it's still like I mean, a couple seconds versus minutes loading, like in the original Spider-Man game or Miles Morales, is definitely a step up f from 
you know, <laughs> it's, it's definitely a step up, I should say. Um, and, uh, you know, load times on the PS5, I mean, they really should, I mean, it's no, it's no spoiler to say that the load times on the PS5 make this game way more smoother, way more, um, congealed, you know, because instead of having to go through, sit through a loading screen and, uh, go around that loading screen and have to wait for the, the stuff to load. And then, you know, instead of doing that, you just get a quick animation of, uh, of Peter or Miles swinging in or flying in because the new spider wings are the fir- one of the first things you use when you boot up the game. Uh, they give you the spider wings pretty early on. And those are actually really well done. They, they, they are not like super overpowered. You still need to use your swinging and web zipping and stuff like that. But um, with the wings, you can travel more ground quicker uh, but you will still need to either catch gusts of winds to keep up in the air or when you get low you can start to swing again and I, I i found myself using a pretty healthy mix of the two i didn't only use web wings and i didn't only use swinging i think i majorly used swinging especially during the sections where i was pretty much just hunting for side content obviously um but uh yeah, I think the web wings work really well in this game, and I, I don't think that they distract you from the awesome swinging that is in it. And the cool thing about the swinging is that both Miles and Peter have different styles of swinging, and then also certain costumes that you can unlock for them, certain suits you can unlock for them, also have unique styles for swinging and combat and stuff like that. So that's also pretty cool how they did that. And it's it's that is going above and beyond, of course. That's going above and beyond. So... Let's say you get one of the first suits you can unlock for Peter is this one that kind of looks like um kind of looks like a Ronin from Ghost of Tsushima or uh, of course feudal times in Japan, and he just has like this, this unique fight style, this unique um, swinging style that's different from any of the other ones there. There, um, and then Miles also has a similar thing with his Into the Spider Verse outfit. Uh, obviously, he has one one. He has a unique style for like how his character looks. He runs at a, like a lower frame rate and stuff like that, which is awesome to see in like a game like this. Uh, and also, he has like some unique uh, moves and stuff like that to his character as well. That when he's using that suit, and that's like the little things that you want to see. You know, it's it's not something that everyone's going to notice per se, but it's something that um, if you're paying attention, you can pick up on it and be like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool that they did that. They designed like a whole new swinging animation for this one suit for no particular reason other than it's a cool suit and they wanted to do something special for it i guess (laughs) i will say with the suits there are a ton that are from the first game and the miles morales game which i don't mind exactly but when i see some of the more um, I wouldn't say ugly, but some of the some of the suits that I didn't really like from those games come back, and you have to unlock them with your tokens and stuff like that. It's just it, it, you feel like it could have been there could have been a different suit in this spot, <laughs> you know. Or I, I I mean obviously they're not going to have all the suits unlocked from the get go, but you know maybe have a couple of those suits that were from the original game, like the original Miles Morales suit or the original Peter Parker suit or the original. Um, you know, anti-ox suit from the first game. Maybe have those just unlocked in general so you don't have to re-unlock them. It's it's so weird how this game does its suits because 
you know, you want, you like the first suit you start off with is like the Spider-Man Two suit, the new version of it. But you can also unlock the damaged version of the suit, the original suit from the first game, the uh, the original original suit from the first game. Uh, the you know, there's so many suits that are just like the same kind of template that don't really make a difference, especially on Peter's side. I feel like Miles has more varied suits. Peter's are really similar in a, in a lot of ways, and it's kind of just annoying to be like, oh well, I guess I'll use. I don't know, the suit from the first game for a little bit, and then, you know, I'll use the suit from this game for a little bit. It's, 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 it's a weird thing. But one of the other things that I do like about the suits is how you can unlock three different variants on top of the original suit that you unlock. So um, not only do you get the suit, but you also get three variants of the suit once you unlock that. And a lot of the variants were pretty cool. I, I You know, a lot of the color palettes that were swapped out were were not too bad. I actually like them better than the original ones, so I do appreciate that they have uh, a plethora of, of different um, ideas floating around in there. Um, obviously, the the, the 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 different color palettes don't really change the suits that much, but um, sometimes it's, it's just it just looks better in general. Um, like there was um, a suit for Miles that kind of reminded me of the uh, well, it, it was the um, the suit from the first from the Miles Morales game that. Um, Oh, it was it was it was the Prowler kind of looking suit, and in this one they have three different variants for the for the original suit, and that one of the variants was like a black and purple or something, or like a neon green and purple or something like that, and it was really cool. I liked it way better than the original version, and that's kind of how it kind of went for most of the <laughs> most of the suits, where it's like, okay, I unlocked the base of the suit, but. Um, the rest of the, like, the other three variants look better, so I'm going to choose one of the variants. <laughs> and, of course, not all suits have variants. A lot of the movie shoot suits or things based on properties don't have uh, different suits. So, um, you know, uh, some of them don't have that. But a lot of them do. A lot of them have the different variants that you can unlock. And, of course, um, I actually preferred a lot of the variants to the original suits. So there you go. Um, some points during the game, you get specific suits for the character that you can't change out. Um, so just be wary of that if you are wearing a suit that you don't like and maybe just switch it out before you do the next mission. <laughs> Something like that. There is a there is one suit, one of my favorite suits for Miles came from a side mission where you collect some instruments. Obviously not really a spoiler, didn't really give away anything there. But the outfit you get for that one is really cool. I really liked it. It was like, um, I'm not going to say, but it, it was a really cool suit. I, I really liked it. I really liked the style. And of course, Peter has some good suits as well. Um, there's one where you can unlock the um, Spider-Man Noir costume. Uh, Nick Cage played Spider-Man Noir in the uh, Into the Spider-Verse movie, and um, yeah, it's fun to play as play as that version of the character. Obviously, his voice doesn't change, but you know, it's still a pretty cool suit to unlock. It's one of my favorites in there. Another thing that they kept up from the first game is a plethora of side content along with the main missions. Uh, so after you're done with the main mission, you have usually you get a new side mission unlocked for almost like every other main mission. It seems like at some t at some points, uh, but uh, at, you know, different from the first game, not every side mission played the same way. Um, the first game had a lot of like hideouts to take out, like the demon hideout, the the um, the kingpin hideouts. You know, you had to do or the sable hideouts too. You had to do those all, and they were all relatively the same, where you just beat up a bunch of goons and leave. Uh, well, you start in stealth, and then you beat up a bunch, a bunch of goons and leave. And this game does this. I think that this game does the side content better in a way, 
where not every side mission feels like it's the same thing. Uh, so you start off with like, oh, finding these caches, and then you uh, take pictures of specific things. Uh, New Yorkers doing specific things instead of just having thousands of pictures to take. It's it's like it's they're set up in a way that's like, oh, it's kind of kind of cool. You you take a picture of like the daily life of of a New Yorker, right, and you send it to the Daily Bugle. Um, so that was kind of cool. There's other ones like finding these little spider drones, which I talked about last week. I love the look of most of these spider drones and these fin the find the finale for that side mission is really cool. Like really, really cool. Like uh if you're a fan of Spider Man and Spider Man games, you're gonna love the ending of that mission. Also if you're a fan of Spider Man movies in general, you're gonna love the end of that mission. It's it's really cool. Um of course like uh there's like these ones that are like um almost like the uh the hideouts, uh, where you attack a couple of Craven's goons and then you uh, can triangulate where a base is, which is kind of different from the first game because you're doing three bases and then taking out one big base and you have like the ability to um, take out some things from the enemy before they call it in. Um, sometimes it seems to be a little bit weird because you can take out like the reinforcements call-in thing, but then they still call in reinforcements sometimes, which might just be the guys around the area. I don't remember, but... Uh, yeah, it was just kind of weird how sometimes the reinforcements would still show up or, like, the thing that you took out would still do something every so often. It's kind of weird. Um, my least favorite side mission uh, was probably the one where you chase around the drones in the city. It really just played itself, honestly. Like, you still had the guide. Like, he, essentially, when you're wearing the web wings, you have to, if you want to, like, get a boost burst of speed, you go through these wind tunnels. And it was pretty much just like going through a wind tunnel, following this drone, dodging some of their attacks, but not really dodging, you know. And it was just it just took a little bit too long, in my opinion. And it was just one of those things. It's like, oh, I have to do like ten of these. <laughs> it was just it was not the most fun side mission ever. And the ending for the side mission really wasn't that great either. And I will say, a lot of the side missions end with cliffhangers, which is not my favorite thing ever, especially because, like. We obviously, you know, obviously there's going to be some cliffhangers here and there because they're trying to set up for either the next game or some DLC. But it's, I, I feel like at least three or four side missions ended with like, oh, here's a cliffhanger for the, the DLC. Like, ooh. And I just was like, by the time like the third, I think like three of them, the third one came around, I was like, I really just want like an ending to this storyline. Like I, I don't feel like it needs DLC. I feel like we could just have an ending to the storyline, but nope, can't do that. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that kind of drags the game down a little bit is this, is this idea that like, Oh, uh, we're just going to set up a bunch of DLC stuff in these side missions. Um, obviously the main story gets a nice bow on it at the end. Um, but like all like I would say I would say three out of the you know five or six side mission activities maybe even four have like a, a, a oh here's a here's a hint at what the DLC is going to be or oh here's a hint at maybe what we're going to bring it back in the next game or something like that and I really don't like that at least the original game and Miles Morales like the ending of the side missions and stuff most of them were concrete and it was kind of a surprise to have one that didn't end in a concrete resolution. And in Spider-Man 2, I feel like, yeah, maybe we could just end most of them with a concrete ending and then, you know, like like the, the Path of the Embers one, the side mission um, that you do with Wrath or Wraith, whatever her name is, 
Um, I feel like that one, like, sure, yeah, that one can be the setup for the DLC, but have a have an actual finisher on a couple of these other ones that that you don't, you know. <laughs> but um, like I said before, though, the side missions actually seem to be worth. Like they they did they had a good amount of variety in them, so it wasn't just doing the same thing over and over again, which I do appreciate. Um, another thing about the game is uh, it is a bit I I don't know if glitchy is the right word. Um, it just it just has some moments that that things happen that you that yeah sure it's a it's a bit glitchy. Um, I'm trying to think of a better word for it, but like I guess I, I guess it's like a game breaking free like a screen will freeze uh it froze on me once where um i was just doing a swing into an enemy and i i just i think i got trapped inside of a telephone pole or something like that and i was i was stuck and i had to restart the checkpoint which isn't too bad seeing as the checkpoints are are pretty generous um but other i i think i had three times by the time that i was done with everything that i had to restart the game because it froze on me or it didn't allow me to do anything when uh when a prompt came up uh, which is kind of annoying, and I know that Greedy Waffles mentioned to me that like uh, one of the spider drones didn't show up. He had to restart his game for the spider drone to show up, which is just kind of like sloppy, I guess. Maybe not, maybe not sloppy, but it needed, I guess, a little bit more polish to it here and there. Um, I seem to only get like the part where like the things that I couldn't, like like all of a sudden I couldn't like control my character, like the I was stuck with a prompt on the screen. Seemed to only happen when new moves were getting introduced, and it happened like three times, which is kind of unfortunate. The, the, I guess the one time I sat on a, a bench and I couldn't move, and the dialogue didn't play, which seems to be a pretty wide-reachy one, seeing as also Greedy also had that one. I think uh, Coco also had that one as well. So um, just needed to clean it up a little bit more. Um, other than that, though, I really didn't have too many glitches. I mean, obviously there's going to be that random ragdoll that a thug does. That's kind of weird, but I don't really see those as glitches, you know? Um, it's just maybe a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit of a, uh, not a game breaker, but it takes you out of the game a little bit, you know? Um, uh, other than that, I didn't really have any glitches, glitches per se. Uh, just those times I had to restart. So all in all, it's not terrible with glitches. Like it's not on the same level as like Redfall or Jedi Survivor, but it's still it's still enough of a pain to make me go. Ah, I wish that they had maybe quality assured this a little bit more, quality tested this a little bit more, just to make sure it was working perfectly. Um, the nice thing is though that the the graphic like graphically it's 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 pretty good. Um, I I don't think that the rendering time was bad. I think that most things rendered pretty quickly if, or they were already rendered by the time that I did uh, that I saw that a cutscene started. Um, I think that in general the graphics look good. Facial animations are pretty good. Uh, characters themselves look look good. Environments New York and itself looks great. Um, so all in all, I think it's a it's a great looking game. Um, uh, maybe not as good as some of the other games that have come out this year, like Lies of P or, um, you know, even Alan Wake 2, which I'll talk about later in the episode. Uh, but it's still a good looking game. It's not like it's bad. It's, it's a good looking game. Um, voice acting is good in the game as well. Enjoy that. Um, yeah. Uh, so other than that, um, there's a new parry system in the game, uh, that takes a lot of time to get used to because, I don't know about you, but after just playing the original Spider-Man game before playing Spider-Man 2, it's so difficult not to just automatically press the dodge button for every single attack. So what I did is I actually um, forced myself to parry everything so that I got used to pressing the button when an attack prompt came up. 
And I think the weird thing is that you have to use a parry to take out most th like the big brute thugs or the bigger enemies. Um, which I I don't know it's fine, but I do I do like the idea of the first game having multiple ways to uh, to assess a situation and take take enemies out. Like sure, yeah, you can still web up a big thug, but it, it's not as effective as doing the parry and then getting a couple hits in and then doing another parry and getting another couple hits in. In the first game and in Miles Morales, you could use gadgets to help you out. You could use your own like own moves to help you out. Um, and this one, it seems like it's very like, oh, you have to use a parry or you're going to get hit or you're going to get punished, <laughs> which is not my favorite thing ever. I, I feel like keeping the game open for you to do what you want to do in a combat scenario is one of the main reasons why Spider-Man and Miles Morales works so well. And it's not like the combat's bad in this game, not by any stretch of the imagination. It's just there's some things that I wish were more flowing like that. You know, like like that uh, idea of not having the parry of the brutes to get hits and just be you know having parry and being a tool for you uh, would be would have been better than having it be a crutch to use. Um, let's see. Other than that, uh, upgrade system works pretty much the same as the first game, uh, except that you have you know the th three different tiers. So one is just Miles, one is just Peter, and one is them combined. Um, strangely enough, you got to unlock a lot of the sim a similar, uh, moves from the first game in Miles Morales, which I, I applauded Jedi Survivor because you pretty much start that game with all your base moveset intact from the first game. And they didn't do that with, with Spider-Man. So, you know, uh, I mean, it's not a terrible thing because you do earn XP pretty fast, but it's one of those things. It's like, I, I really shouldn't have to be relearning how to web up someone and then throw them, you know, <laughs> like that, that seems like a pretty basic thing that should be in the game from the get-go. I feel like that shouldn't be something that I need to relearn in the game. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I think that's all I want to talk about in the non-spoiler section. So I'm going to go ahead and switch over the spoilers. I'm going to mark it down in the description. Um, and if you want to skip the spoilers, just head over to what have I, what have I been playing this past week uh, in the timestamps. So let's go ahead and start the spoiler discussion. All right, so let's talk about the story. It starts you off, you're fighting Stan, Sandman with Miles. It's one of the best openings to a game that I can think of in recent years. Uh, better than the first game, better than Miles Morales' opener, for sure. Um, it's definitely like one of those opening segment sequences that really sets the game up with a high barrier that um, it's 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 got to be tough to get back to that, right? Like, you know, you're doing this big fight with a giant Sandman. It's, it's spanning New York City. You're fighting these little, like, clay face type minions that pop up out of the sand. Um, and uh, you're pouring water on him. It's a very interesting boss fight because it's not just punch him in the face a bunch of times. It's like, okay, pull down this water thing or throw this water at him and then punch him in the face a couple times, right? Um, and that it's, it really hypes you up for the rest of the game. It really opens up that uh, opens up the game with a great starter um, that just kind of keeps going from there. It just kind of starts snowballing from there. They have bigger and bigger set pieces that really makes this game stand apart from the other Spider-Man games of recent years. Um, the game just seems to have a banger level after banger level here and there. Um, of course, there's still those levels that are just kind of more basic, but I, I would say that like. Out of all the levels, I would say it's more than 50% that have like a segment that I went, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, just to start off, uh, there's this whole chase with Black Cat uh, where you're chasing her and she has like this portal thing from the uh, from Doctor Strange that she stole. 
And it's just one of those, it's one of those sections that's like really cool. You're going in and out of portals. Um, and it's kind of like Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart in a way where the SSD is loading so fast you can go through a portal and be sent out somewhere completely different in, in like a snap of a finger. Um, the same thing happens when you go into the Mysteriums. Um, you can, it, it, of course, it's a little bit more blatant that they're loading a new area when you walk into it, but it's still a pretty cool illusion. But uh, yeah, that black cat chase was like one of the one of those great parts of the game that I really, I really liked. I thought that was a really fantastic one. Um, of course, the lizard trailing thing that they showed off during a state of play was was pretty cool to play. It was a little bit too short in my opinion, but it was cool to kind of go from boat to boat while they were chasing lizard. Um, also, the part before that was a bit more horror themed, I would say, which was pretty cool. Um, this whole this whole, there's a whole fight with um, with Peter and uh harry they both are fighting craven and there's like this whole really great sequence that like is really an emotional roller coaster where peter almost dies and harry gives him the suit in order to help him survive but now of course harry is succumbing to his sickness because he gave the suit to peter so that's a big yin and yang thing right there um there's like this massive fight inside of the emily uh emily uh fuck um, May, Emily May Foundation. That is pretty bombastic. really love that early on. And uh, there's, I mean, I, I would say after the part where Peter, uh, where Harry gives Peter the symbiote suit, uh, that's like, that was one of the best parts of the game is when you're, you're first using that symbiote suit and you're just crushing through enemies with these new special abilities and like these this, cra- this crazy stuff. It was awesome. It was really cool. Um, eventually, uh, through story mechanics, you play as Venom. You actually play as Venom for like a a mission and a half, which was really cool. Like, I really love that. Um, one of the, one of this, this game has to be one of the best depictions of Venom that I've seen in popular media for quite some time. Um, it's definitely one of those, one of those characters that has, I mean, because they're so popular, you know, they, they show up so often in media, especially in comic books and stuff like that. So it's one of the things that's like, yeah, they, they definitely utilize him really well in this game. And Craven too. I feel like Craven like that final fight with Craven between Venom and Craven was amazing. I would say that's probably my favorite boss fight in the game because it was so cool and unique. Um but like the other fights in the game for for boss fight wise, I feel I felt like a lot of them just resorted to just punch, 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 dodge, punch, 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 parry, dodge, punch, 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 punch. And I feel like in the first game, when you played the first game, a lot of the fights didn't go that way. You know, there was that whole section with Rhino and Scorpion where you're trying to knock things down onto Rhino while dodging Scorpion's attacks. Um, and then also the the fight with... Um, the, 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 what's the guy's? The Pounder or whatever his name is? I forget his name right now. He's the one with, like, the gold suit. The Shocker. Shocker, that's his name. Like, that one was pretty cool because you were, like, jumping out of the way of his attacks and stuff like that. Um... You know, each fight in the first game was pretty original for a boss fight. And in Spider-Man 2, I feel like a lot of it just resorts to punching and then dodging and then punching and then dodging and then using a special ability and punching and dodging. And I, I, I really felt like the characters that you were fighting were out of this world amazingly designed. Like Lizard and Venom and Craven and... 
you know, any character you can think of that you fought during this game had such a great design. And like, I thought that the boss fight was going to be something so cool, but then it ended up just kind of being mediocre in a way where it's like, it, it really wasn't as special as I thought it was going to be. Like the, the lizard fight is, is a big, um, is a big one in my opinion, because you have this giant lizard and all you're pretty much doing is punching him. And then sometimes he goes up onto the wall and you web him and he falls down and you punch him. And there's these little things that can give you a boost and the, uh, you have to grab onto them, pull them up. But other than that, it was just kind of like, wow, just kind of like a basic fight, huh? And the ending fight with Venom, the same thing. It was, it was a, a very basic fight, you know? I'm thinking of the final fight with Doc Ock, and even though it's not the most amazing boss fight ever, I will say at least it has some unique things going for it of, that was separate from the rest of the boss fights that you do in the game by, you know, you're swinging around this tower while the floor is electrocuted, you're throwing things back at him, then you're beating him up on the ground and, and webbing up his, his, his uh, different legs or arms <laughs> like that's unique but in but in spider-man 2 i just feel like so many of the boss fights just devolve into just punch a bunch and then let and then dodge a couple times and punch a bunch and there there's seemingly multiple stages to these fights but i can't remember personally the next stage of the fight they get a refresh of health bar i don't remember them having too many unique moves that that occurred after that like maybe they added like one move and then the rest was the same uh there's a fight with screamer late, later on mary jane gets infected with the with the symbiote which is a cool like a cool fight but it just evolved into me kicking its ass because i knew how to play the game by that time i knew that like dodge punch dodge punch you know don't don't press too hard you know, it's one of those things. It's like I, I wanted that to be so much better, but it was just kind of mediocre. Kind of felt, felt a little bit flat. Of course, what's going on is cool. I love it. I, I think this game has so many cool twists and turns and stuff like that. But I really do wish that the boss fights had been on the same level as those twists and turns that were happening inside the game. Um, like I said, even the ending fo boss fight with with Venom has like five stages in it, and three out of the five stages play exactly the same as any other fight in the game it's just kind of just kind of um you know just kind of like eh, whatever uh some story beats to talk about uh obviously craven coming to new york to hunt the different uh villains of the of, the, of new york was a is of course a really good idea it, it does open the door for plenty of villains to show their face and you know be involved in the story um they actually killed off some main characters in this one. Uh, they killed off uh, Scorpion on screen. They killed off Vulture off screen. I'm pretty sure they killed off Shocker as well. There's a bunch of empty cages with their faces on them. Um, so there, there was some actual like there were some actual character deaths in here that weren't that hard hitting per se, but you know they they worked in in the moment. Um, there was also. Uh, what am I thinking of? Oh, the fight with uh, Martin Lee or Mr. Negative in this game leagues better than the fight with him in the first game. Like, even though I didn't mind the fight with him in, in Spider-Man 1, uh, the Martin Lee fight in Spider-Man 2 is so good. Like, I think, actually, that kind of that kind of ties Kraven for the for the boss fight of the game. Um, and that's that, that one's between Miles and Mr. Negative. And I like Martin Lee's new appearance. He's got, like, this beard and the mustache and the tied-up hair, you know. Uh, I think they did a really good job with the, with him in this game. And I think that um, this game wasn't so much about, like, oh, beat up all the villains and win. It was more so about giving villains a second chance or giving people who are bad a second chance. 
Um, and one of the character arcs in this game is with Martin Lee and Miles. And of course, Martin Lee killed Miles's father. So there's a there's a story arc for Miles forgiving Martin Lee, and there's an arc for Martin Lee realizing what he did was wrong, you know, or you know was worse than he thought, and um, trying to atone for it in in some ways. And that's a theme throughout the the whole game where. You know, Dr. Connors, he, he's reformed and he's living on his own and he's missing his family and he's uh, he's working with Norman Osborn to to uh, to, um, you know, help his son and all that stuff. So there's a lot of like character arcs in this game that that work out really well. I think that most of them work pretty, pretty well. Uh, the only one that I really didn't that I didn't think was as strong was um, was Wrath or Wraith, uh, who is um the main police officer from the last game that you talked to throughout that game. Um, of course, at the end of the, the final DLC, she goes rogue because she's done with the system. And um, I felt like her arc wasn't as strong as everyone else's. I feel like um, I feel like that's that side mission trail went a bit cold, especially after like Peter and her had like a huge falling out. And then they just are working together in the next in the next mission <laughs> again. It's just like, OK, maybe we could have fleshed this out a little bit more, maybe save this for an entire side uh, DLC. I don't know. Um, I like all the different factions that are in the game, um, just like the first one uh, with Sable, the demons and the regular thugs. There's a good amount of mix of of, of different factions in this one, including the, the regular thugs. Uh, and there's these like cultists who use fire to burn things, which are really, they're really cool. I love, I li- I think I like them the best out of all the characters to fight. Uh, later on, there's symbiote versions of character of, of, uh, of like normal people get like turned into, into venom type creatures and each color kind of has a d- distinct move set. And I felt like they were pretty cool. Um, pretty tanky at first, but once you get, to, once you get around to it, you, you start fighting them pretty, pretty well. Um, yeah, I, I like all the different factions and all the different crimes that show up. I think that um, they put a lot more variance into what crimes show up on the map. Um, the one thing that I will say is they took away some of like the more creative elements of the crimes, where you don't actually have to do the crimes, but if you do do them, uh, sometimes like they, they use similar things from the last game, like stopping a car or something like that, and they kind of trim those down to be like one quick button press and then you're done. And then there's these parts where you have to take people back to an ambulance, which just which just serves to elongate the side content for some reason. Um, it was fun at the beginning when you're taking J. Jonah Jameson to an ambulance, but it shows up a little bit too often with these with these side crimes, and it's just more of an annoyance than anything else uh, to take because sometimes these ambulances are like a thousand miles away, and it's like what why why? <laughs> so yeah. Um, other than that, uh, the ending of the game, really strong, really good ending. Um, like I said before, the boss fight with Venom maybe leaves a little bit to be desired, but the story elements going on are very good. Um, at the end of it all, Harry is like comatose in a coma. Comatose in a coma? In a coma. Let's just say he's in a coma. And um, you, you, you kind of pick up on it throughout the game, but Norman is wearing... A ton of green, whether it's a tie, a suit, pants, shoes, he's or if there's something glowing green around him, um, it definitely is hinting at the Green Goblin coming in the next game. And the reason that I say that a hundred percent right now is because of the final, like not not the final, but there's two there's two after credit scenes. One of them is way more important than the other one. One of them is just like Peter and Miles and the family having dinner or whatever, breakfast or whatever. Um, the other one is Norman 
obviously very distraught over Spider-Man, you know, having put his son into a coma. And obviously he doesn't know exactly what happened. He didn't know that Harry wanted that to happen, right? He, uh, Harry actually wanted Peter to kill him at one point. Um, and of course, Norman, he lost his wife and he almost lost his son and his son came back. So it's a lot of trauma to go through for him. So his character is a bit different from the Green Goblin that you know and love from the other Spider-Man movies or from comic books. Um, so instead of just kind of getting his powers through a, a, a experiment gone wrong and, you know, having this dual personality, it seems like his his hate for Spider-Man is, is already kind of developed and he's going to work with Otto Octavius in the next game to take down Spider-Man or try and take down Spider-Man. Um, will we see the Hobgoblin? I don't think so, but I mean, if there's a will, there's a way, I guess. But as of right now, we kind of can confirm that Green Goblin is coming back in the next game along with Otto. Um, he's going to come back uh, and we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see what happens. So there's just two strong indications there at the end of the game that uh, they're going to form some sort of alliance, but maybe it's going to be a shifty alliance. But yeah, because Norman, like at the end of the game, Norman's wearing like an entirely green suit. So if he doesn't become Green Goblin, I would think that maybe he uses the, you know, whatever on Harry instead of himself and turns Harry into the Green Goblin or the Hobgoblin, as he would be called. Uh, but we will see. We shall see. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. The end of the game was was definitely worth uh, the lackluster fight with Venom. So. Um, even there was cool things that happened during the Venom fight. He grew wings, you know, he did all this stuff. I think there was some cool stuff there, but as I said before, the, the fight itself just, I, it left me a little bit desiring a little bit more, you know, a little bit more. Um, so I know, I know there's a lot of like little nitpicks in here and also some bigger things that I talked about, but I will say for the most part, Spider-Man 2 is a great experience. If you haven't played it yet, if you haven't gotten around to playing it yet, um, I don't know why you'd be listening to this one, but two, definitely, definitely get around to doing that. And it's not like the platinum trophy is that much trouble in this game. It's actually a relatively easy one to accomplish. It just takes a little bit of time doing the side content and stuff. And, you know, people who blitz through the main story and then do the side content, I think they're going to have a little bit of a tougher time with it because just like with the first game, if you wait to do all of the side content until after the main story is over, it's just going to be a lot of cleanup, you know. I think the game does a really good job of keeping the side content flowing along with the main missions, and you can kind of do the side content at leisurely while... Uh, very naturally, I will say, while doing the main story stuff. And I think that you get you get a lesser experience if you don't do as much of the side content as you can before the end of the game. I think that, you know, obviously, you don't have to do all the side content. But, of course, doing a lot of the side content naturally while progressing the main story is going to give you, I think, a better overall experience at the end of the day. Um, the way that I did it personally was by the time that the symbiote had taken over New York... Um, I had pretty much done all of the other side content that was leading up to that mission where that happened. And then once the symbiote, like, hearts started appearing, I was like, okay, I'm definitely going to leave these for, you know, whenever. And uh, I, I actually did the right thing by doing a couple of them and then leaving them for later because then you get the anti-venom suit and you get all these new abilities for Peter that made those things much easier. And, of course, you get the upgraded Venom powers for Miles as well, which makes them easier, too. So by the time that the game was wrapping up, before the final fight with Venom, I decided to go and do the rest of those to wrap those up neat and cleanly, nice and cleanly. Um, and then at the end of the game, um, I was happy to see that the, the map was pretty much done, except for a couple of miscellaneous things that I had missed uh, on my way. So 
Um, and those miscellaneous things were just like miscellaneous trophies. I don't mean like things in the, uh, like side quest content or anything like that. I mean like I had a couple of trophies to clean up, and there was one more EMF thing to do, which uh, was pretty which was pretty cool. But I, I, I think that th- this game definitely strives to be great, and it is great, and it do- it definitely goes above and beyond what the other games set up. And, and, and I think that even though it struggles in a few locations, I think for the most part it's a, good, it's a great experience, um, one that is going to be remembered for a long time. And if this trilogy does complete with a Green Goblin uh, storyline for the third game, uh, I'm, I'm there for it. I'm all there for it. And we'll see what else they what other surprises they decide to... Uh, do for this third game i just think that in general most people including myself are just gonna be excited to 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 see what happens next and i know that they're probably gonna be doing a couple of dlcs of course carnage is gonna come in there uh, for a dlc it looks like chameleon's gonna have his own dlc Um, maybe there's gonna be an into the spider-verse dlc um we'll see uh but uh yeah it's it's i think we have a good amount of content that's gonna be coming to uh to the game in the near future and um, I think that the game is going to just be a very replayable, f- fun time. Uh, um, you know, kind of like the first game in Miles Morales, those are very replayable, very good times. You know, even even if you're doing it for the third or fourth time, I feel like you can still find enjoyment out of just the combat and the swinging in general. So, yeah, and this one, you know, it has it has a really good story. Like, even the Mary Jane parts were really good. Like, after the first one... Like, she became less of a stealth character and more of, like, an action-packed character, which was really cool. She got, like, this gun that she could stun people with and that she could wrap people up with the web shooters and stuff like that. I thought that they really evolved her character a lot and made her sections worth playing. And even though I didn't mind them in the first game, I will say that those, the Mary Jane and the Miles sections in the first game left a lot to be desired, for sure. And they kind of filled that gap in the second in the second game here, I think, I think so. Um, there's probably something that I missed while I was talking, but... Uh, I will leave it at that because this is already a long enough uh, as it is. Um, so the final score that I'm going to give Spider-Man 2 for right now is a 4.5 out of 5. Uh, could have been a 5 out of 5, but uh, as I mentioned before, I felt like the boss fights weren't as good. There was some side content that didn't need to be cliffhangers. We could have just had some actual endings to them. Um, and, of course, it was a little a little buggy here and there, I will say. Um, I, I definitely... It definitely um, it brought you brought me out of the game when all of a sudden my character can't move or whatever. So I, I definitely uh, hold that against it a little bit. But it's not as strong as Jedi Survivor because of the fact that Jedi Survivor had glitches and stuff all the way through it, and it definitely hampered the experience all the way through. Whereas Spider-Man 2, it was really like once every like six hours or so. I think I have a total of 20 hours playing in, playing the game in general. So like every like six or so hours, I had a glitch or something like that where I had to restart. Um, so it wasn't as bad um, as other games that have come out this year. But um, I will still deduct some points, you know, partial points for for that because it's um, it's really inexcusable at this point from a AAA company to be putting out a game that has um, so many glitches and stuff in it. I mean, it's much more inexcusable for something like Jedi Survivor or Redfall, but. Um, you know, I still still got to hold all games up to the same grading criteria that I do, and uh, Spider-Man 2 is no exception. So a 4.5 is still a really good game. Still a really good game. Obviously, I'm I'm I, I am uh, ignoring some of the some of the problems that I have with it to uh, because I just enjoyed it so much. But um, yeah, it's not perfect, but it's it's pretty close. It's 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 there. It's it's worth playing for sure. It's better than the uh, Miles Morales and, and Spider-Man One. Um, I think I I mean I think Spider-Man One is like a 4.5 as well, but for different reasons. 
Uh, Miles Morales is like a four out of five. So this one definitely rises above. And unlike IGN, I stay consistent with my ratings. Uh, thank you for listening, and this has been The Final Review. All right, let's move on to the next part of the show, which is what's coming soon. All right, let's talk about some other games that I played this past week. First up on the board is the game that I spent the most time with uh, this past week, other than Spider-Man, which was Alan Wake 2. Now, I didn't get to play as much as I wanted to uh, for various reasons, so next week I'll definitely have more, uh, more thoughts about it. But right now, a tentative look at Alan Wake 2 is that it's a fantastic game that evolves while also being highly uh, highly inspired by other survival horror genre games. Um, but it definitely evolves Alan Wake into something that's not as arcadey, much more intense, and the combat is much better in Alan Wake 2. Even though I didn't mind things in Alan Wake 1, um, I, but I will say that the characters... And the story is definitely not as strong as uh, in. Uh, it's definitely not as strong uh, in the first game as it is in Alan Wake Two. Like there's definitely th- pouring on the story, atmosphere, and ambiance uh, for Alan Wake Two, and it's definitely more akin to something like a Resident Evil remake kind of game where um, it, it's it, it, it you know the enemy encounters are going to be more frightening because you don't have as much ammo and they're much more tankier. Uh, than you would imagine. Um, you know, you have to use the flashlight still to break them out of their, like, shadow realm, but uh, that also opens up, like, a hitbox for them to get massive damage, and you have to c- kind of continuously get, keep uh, keep hitting them with the flashlight while also blasting them with ammo. And um, it's it's one of those things that's like, yeah, this is definitely, like, a, a single enemy or two is definitely a daunting task in the grand scheme of things. And don't even get me started on the first boss fight in the game. Like that took so much ammunition. I was, I was scrambling at the end of that, but it was a very satisfying thing. I I feel like if you're looking for a good or even great horror experience at the end of October here, Alan Wake two is definitely the key to giving you the spooks and the frights and the, the intense moments that are missing from the original Alan Wake. Like, yeah, sure. There's, there's some stuff that's going on. That's like kind of spooky, but in general, I wouldn't say that Alan Wake one is that scary in most places, but Alan Wake two, they did such a good job at designing this forest to kind of make it seem more ominous and, and stuff like that. Um, there's these like really detailed open kind of world segments that you can kind of go between. And the forest has definitely been a really like spooky area to go through, especially because most of the game takes place at night, of course, um, especially at night. Um, the, you know, the forest is, is really, really creepy. Um, and another game that kind of does a similar thing is the Blair Witch, uh, which came out quite a while ago. And even though that game is good and I, I feel like it, or I should say it's fine, um, and I feel like they did a pretty good job with the forest in that game. Um, Alan Wake 2 just kind of cranks it up a little bit higher. It, it does. And um, there's a bunch of, like, lighting effects and stuff that happen while you're in the forest, too, which makes things even more creepier. Um, they also combine, like, these FMV segments uh, with the, you know, the, the the people on screen. So when, when, um, when you're talking the... Uh, or when you're okay, I, I think I've gone a little bit too far. Let me back up a little bit. 
the FMV segments happen because Saga is doing detective work. The main character for this one is Saga. Of course, Alan Wake is like a is also a main character. It's the name of the game. Um, but you play mostly as Saga throughout the first three or four chapters. Um, and what you do as Saga is you are a detective, so you're gathering clues around a crime scene, and you're trying to piece them together to form your hypothesis as to what happened. Saga has a supernatural ability to kind of commune with people and get the truth out of them uh, through like this uh, mind palace that she's created for herself. So whenever you want to solve a mystery or put new evidence on the board or you know interrogate someone through their through your mind palace, it's all in this like little room that she created that has different things based on her life and stuff like that. Uh, collectibles will also show up there, like the manuscript pages, radio broadcasts, and TV broadcasts. Um, so, <laughs> so when you're doing these sections where you're talk communing with the person. Um, it's actually an FMV segment where these shadows, the people and the real people who voice the characters pop up and they talk to you and, and it's kind of creepy at times because they, they do really good gore and makeup on some of the ones who are dead and it's just, it's really cool. I mean, Remedy has done this a couple of times with their games. It started all the way back with Alan Wake 1 um, and uh, it just kind of continues from there with things like, um, with, with things like Control uh, and they did um, that other game too. Um Quantum Break, I think they did as well, which had full-blown like cutscenes that were only FMV. So it's one of those things. It's like it's it's really cool to see how, how they've transformed as a studio to keep these kind of like real FMV segments along with mixed in with this gameplay. And I think it works really well with Alan Wake too. I think that they 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 went above and beyond for this one. They 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 really mesh seamlessly and they give it this extra little bit of creepiness creepiness here or there that that this game um, didn't really need, but it's a cool to have an add-on there. And of course, with this game being a next-gen game and being digital only, you might be wondering, well, how does it run? How does things how do things look? How's how's it going? And so far, I've had Zero rendering issues, zero frame rate issues, zero graphical glitches, zero glitches in general. The game hasn't crashed on me, knock on wood, of course. Uh, and um, yeah, the performance for the game is like really good. Like, I, I mean, there's, I mean, there's so many little nitpicking things that you could say about other games, like in in the next gen quote unquote era, like Lords of the Fallen, Spider Man, even. Um, you know, other things. This one has none of those problems so far for me personally. I'm playing it on the PS5. I know I, I said I was going to play it on the computer, but I wanted to play it on the big screen and I didn't feel like lugging my PC downstairs. Uh, so I am playing on PS5 and it's been running perfectly fine. It looks beautiful. It plays great. Um, the touchpad stuff is pretty pretty, pretty good. <laughs> you, you pretty much swipe left for the map or swipe right to go into the Mine Palace. Um... So yeah, so far it's definitely like a definite recommend for me, especially if you are a fan of Alan Wake. It continues off of that story 13 years later. And also it changes things up so it's not just your Alan Wake experience. It is its its own thing inspired heavily by the newer Resident Evil games. And um, I would compare it most, most closely to like a mix between Resident Evil 2 and 3 remakes. Um, it has like a dodge mechanic like Resident Evil 3. I think it's a little bit more consistent, but it is there. And, um, 
it has like the more so like one on one or two on one kind of fights that Resident Evil Two has uh, early on, um, with some moments where you're fighting more. Um, but I'm sure those will come up later. Um, but yeah, I mean, so far it's definitely a full recommend. I mean, I know it's digital only and a lot of people will just not buy digital games for some reason, but if that's the case then you're really missing out on a really good game here, I don't know if they're ever planning on giving it a physical release. I'm sure they will maybe down the road eventually. Um, but, uh, if, I mean, I, I would say this is one, you know, if, if there's a scale of like, you know, skip this or play it now or, you know, wait for a sale, like that one YouTube channel does. This one is definitely like a play it now. It's definitely worth the price tag, worth the price of entry. Um, and so far, it's been an excellent experience. So if you want to check it out, Alan Wake 2, it's available now. Um, definitely recommend that to uh, to play. I, I'm, not, I'm not even saying like, oh, try it out. Like, play it. <laughs> Don't just try it out. Play this thing. It's really cool. I can't wait to play more, which I will be doing um, probably later today. Also, I got around to finally playing some Super Mario Brothers Wonder, and let me tell you, um, kind of, kind of annoyed that I missed out on this game uh, for that entire week that it was out. But I'm glad I finally played it because it's a really, a really good game. Um, the 2D Mario games have been so stagnant for so long. The Mario Bros. games—they don't really do much to ev- uh, you know, evolve the series farther than just like. Oh, here's Nabbit. Oh, here's a uh, jump, jump here, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And th- I think that's one of the reasons why I just, I just, I really didn't like the Wii U Mario Bros. game that much. And it's mostly because, like, oh, I've played this before. I played the Wii game. I played the DS game. I played both of the DS DS games, and the Wii U game and Luigi U. They're just so similar to all those other experiences for the Mario Bros. series, but. Mario Wonder really does change it up a lot. Uh, it gives you way more characters to use than ever before, um, even though most of them play the same. Um, the ones that are special, like Yoshi, Nabbit, uh, they actually have a lot of different things they can, they can do. And this is like one of those crazy, zany, wowie, zowie kind of Mario games where everything is just like so cool, <laughs> unique, I would say. Like, obviously, you still have things like the fire flower and running and jumping and spit and twirl, twirl jumping. But they've added in this elephant suit that has completely changed your my like how I play Mario Brothers now. <laughs> um, this this elephant suit is amazing. It's it's amazing. It's, it's just it's, inc- it's, inc- it's incredible. I mean, the elephant Mario suit is the best thing in gaming this year. <laughs> <laughs> hands down um it's so cool and um there's a lot I, I haven't gotten to the other powers yet i just got to the petal islands area which is like world two or whatever so i'm definitely excited to see what more this game has to offer because we do know that the bubble suit and the drill suit and stuff like that are in this game but so far like yeah i'm just having a real i'm just having a blast with this game like it's been a while since i'm um since a 2d mario game even like Mario 3D World didn't like really captivate me. Um, it's been a while since I've really dug deep and enjoyed a Mario Bros. game, um, and this is just like yeah, this is like leagues above the other Mario Bros. games in general. Um, there's like so many like cool effects that happen in this game. Like when you capture the, uh, you, you go to the flagpole and you ride down on it. Like the Bowser Hut turns into a t- um, the new guys. Uh, they're not Toads. They're um, bulb bulb guys i don't remember what their name is right now 
But the little toad houses, like they transform, like in, this, in these little balls, like they they swirl around and they transform into the house that's supposed to be, and that's so cool. It's like such a cool particle effect. Um, and of course, the wonder flowers transform every single stage into something completely different. And yes, you can skip the wonder flowers if you want to. Um, the wonder seeds act as like the stars in this game. So the more seeds you have, the farther in the game you can go, and the whatever. And uh, yeah, so far it's just been a really bizarre yet fantastic experience that um it's it's probably it's it's the best mario experience that we've had since like obviously bowser's fury was really good but probably the best mario experience we've had in the 2d realm since like i don't know super mario world i guess um in mario in general probably just mario odyssey go back to mario odyssey that's probably as far back as you need to go but I mean, yeah, Bowser's Fury is just a little bit short. That's all I'm saying. Um, it's definitely a, a good Bowser, um, a Mario experience. But um, if you want to go to the full-fledged games, like this one rivals Mario Odyssey, and, and Mario Odyssey is like a 3D, multi-dimensional game, and Mario Wonder is like it's just a side scroller. You might say it's just a side scroller. It's definitely more than just a side scroller. I mean, the second level has singing, singing piranha plants, which are so cute and funny. It's amazing. It's just it's just pure joy, pure bliss in a lot of ways. So I'm definitely going to get back on this game and, and hopefully beat it by next week so I can talk about it some more. Um, but until then, um, I'll leave it at definitely worth playing now. Um, definitely a good evolution of the 2D Mario series. And there's a lot of personality and charm in, in this one that we haven't seen in a Mario game in quite some time. Um, so that is also another great thing. Also... Wowie Zowie. Wowie Zowie is my new favorite Mario term. Wowie Zowie! Because they say it every single time you get the, the elephant power up, all the characters say it. Wowie Zowie, folks. Wowie Zowie. Revolutionary. Alright, um, I also played more Hellboy this past week, and um, I have hit a point where the game has gotten a bit difficult, and I'm stuck. <laughs> but that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong, that's a good thing, because the game started out way too easy. I talked about it more last week, if you want to hear my thoughts about it, just go back to last week's episode. Um, but Hellboy, it's a surprise, and it's going to be buried under all of these other games that have come out in October, unfortunately. Um, but this, that's kind of just the way it is. Um, but yeah, if you like roguelites, and you like Hellboy, and you like his art style, and you like you know, his characters... This is definitely a game to put on your watch list and, and play it. Um, probably wait for a sale, I would say. But if you, if I mean, I, I I'm liking it. I'm getting my money's worth out of it. Um, I think it is a little bit too one note in a lot of ways because as you go through, there's four different areas that you go through. Um, they're all kind of like winding paths with different visual styles and different enemies. Um, but after a while, it kind of starts to become kind of one note because you're just punching and punching and punching and blocking and dodging um and there really is no variance in the game until you get to that final part of the game and the final part that i'm on um each level has like three floors to it and the third floor is the most difficult floor with like the most crazy hard-hitting enemies you have to beat all four final levels in one go and it is just so difficult because if you don't dodge one attack but like a big attack all your health will be gone. And if that happens in the first area, I just put down my controller and go, okay, restart. <laughs> I got to the, I got to the third area's final boss uh, room one time. And unfortunately, I couldn't 
get to the fourth area to do its final boss. So I kind of I, that, that and that took me a long time to get there. It's a lot of like planning out your attacks, and there's a, there's so many and like there's like there's a bunch of different rooms to go to, and it's one of those things. It's like it's definitely going to take a little while to get it done, but once you do get it done, I'm sure it's going to be pretty satisfying. Now I don't know if there's like a big bad boss at the end of all of it that you'll have to beat at the same time. That would be kind of brutal. But I guess I'll find out as I go through it. So far, though, I love the visual style of Hellboy. I like the combat. Uh, maybe it's a bit too monotonous at times, but it's still pretty fun. And I like the—I mean, I think I already said I like the visual flair. And I also like the characters as well. I think the, 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 there's a lot of good stuff going on. So Hellboy still gets a thumbs up from me. I haven't finished it yet. Probably, hopefully, we'll get it done by next week. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. It's, it's been pretty tough. And then uh, we are still playing Days Gone on stream, so I'll talk about that next week. But I did, drumroll please, I beat every single park in the original Roller Coaster Tycoon. Uh, and this is something that I've wanted to do since I was playing Roller Coaster Tycoon when I was a kid in the 90s, okay? Like, oh my, like, I never got the Thunder Rock when I was a kid, okay? I never got to Rainbow, the Rainbow Park either. Uh, because the scenarios weren't getting more difficult uh, per se, but uh, I just, I just, I just couldn't get past them for some reason. And now, in my ripe age of thirty years old, I have finally done it, folks. I finally beat every park in the original Roller Coaster Tycoon, uh, not including the DLC parks and stuff like that. Um, but uh, yeah, every every single park, and there are some parks that I really despise. Uh, I really do not like the Thunder Rock Park. That was a, that was probably my least favorite, and it's the last one on the list. Which kind of makes it go out with a bit of a whimper than a bang, you know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think that in general, the original Roller Coaster Tycoon is great. It's still one of my favorite games of all time. Obviously, they improved a lot of things with Roller Coaster Tycoon 2. Don't get me wrong. But this is a good jumping point for Roller Coaster Tycoon. And as I already said last week, the newer Roller Coaster Tycoon games, uh, 4, World, and this new, like, reimagining of a mobile game, I forget what it's called, just garbage. They've been complete garbage since Roller Coaster Tycoon 3. And it's really sad because the game started off as Passion Projects, a fall, uh, Passion Projects, a small team. And they just, they, there's like, I love the pixel art style and stuff like that. The, the, the first two Roller Coaster Tycoon games are such a vibe. And there's a reason why there's a, still a lot of people playing the original two Roller Coaster two Tycoon games. There's a reason why there is the open Roller Coaster Tycoon um, download that makes that combines both the original Rise of the Tycoon games and adds a bunch of quality of life stuff. It's because people still love these two games, and uh, I do too. I still love Roller Coaster Tycoon 1. Um, I, I'm going to get started on Roller Coaster Tycoon 2 probably here in the next month or so. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's one of those games that's like it, it's lived with me my whole life. I've gotten new computers every, like, five years or so. I built my latest one, and the first thing I did, the first fucking thing I did is I downloaded Roller Coaster Tycoon, and I played Roller Coaster Tycoon because that is how influential Roller Coaster Tycoon has been on my life, uh, the first game in general. Um, so, um, yeah, another thing that I want to just say just in general, Windows 11, for whatever reason, is really good with old games. Roller Coaster Tycoon ran perfectly fine. Uh, Revolt ran perfectly fine. Um, you know, a lot of older games, Resident Evil Revelations, r ran perfectly fine. I think there's something in the coding of Windows 11 that kind of makes it good for emulating older software. So if you're planning on not upgrading to Windows 11, maybe think about doing that. I ran into way more problems with Windows 10 than Windows 11 so far, which is good. 
All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next part of the show, which is what's in the news. All right, first up on the list is, um, oh, no. Skull and Bones, folks. <laughs> Whoa, why isn't this in the coming soon section, Yummy? Why isn't this in the coming soon section? I'll tell you why. Because uh, the game has been delayed. <laughs> The game has been delayed for a grand total of six times. Um, originally, it was supposed to come out sometime, like, I don't know, back in 2017 or something like that, 2018. Um, right on the heels of the Black, uh, Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Uh, people love that game, still do love that game. Assassin's Creed Rogue also utilized a lot of the same things as Black Flag. So <clears throat> Ubisoft was riding high on the ship combat. And instead of putting it into Unity and Syndicate and whatever else is past that, they decided to put resources on this ship-only Skull and Bones game, which you would think would be a hit. And you think that they would want to get that out as soon as possible to capitalize on the pirate f craze and the ship-battling craze. But... The game has been delayed uh, multiple times. Uh, the last delay had it coming out at the end of November um, around the same... It was supposed to come out on the same day as God of War Ragnarok. Think about that. The game was supposed to come out this, the, a day before God of War Ragnarok. And then they pushed it back to this year. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and I guess now it's supposed to come out early 2024. So... Um, if you don't recall, they actually had like some sort of beta or, or alpha or something like that that people were able to play. Um, and I wonder if they had such trouble with that. Um, they, they have delayed it again. Now, this is not the only game that has been delayed by Ubisoft. This is the biggest game, I would say. This is the biggest headline for games being delayed by Ubisoft. Uh, but Star Wars Outlaws appears to also have been delayed as well. It was supposed to originally come out early in April 2024, people were saying, because they wanted it to come out this financial year, which would be up until April 2024. Uh, but now it's been delayed to fiscal year of 2024 to 2025. So I'm guessing we're going to see it probably later in the year, late late uh, 2024, maybe mid-2024. Um, obviously, more time working on a game like this. It's a, it's a Star Wars property. It's going to be big. Um, it's not going to be so big that you won't be able to beat it in 300 hours or whatever. Uh, but uh, it's going to be one of those games that a lot of people are going to be wanting, hungry for. They're going to want to buy this game because it's different than any other Star Wars game that we've gotten recently. Um, so I, they, I, I don't mind them doing more work on that. Uh, but Skull and Bones, um, I don't know what they're playing. What what's taking them so long at this point? I mean, if they they have a playable build of the game, they released an alpha, a closed alpha and beta or whatever it was. Um, but I think that the main reason why they're dragging their feet is because of the reception of that initial re-reveal of the game. When Dead Island 2 re-revealed itself, which I know was a different company, people gushed over it, me, myself included. And that gave them the green light to be like, okay, we are we are practically there. We just got to tweak a few things, polish a few things up, and we're good to go. Skull and Bones had its re-reveal, and it flopped. Like I, I when it when I saw that trailer, the thirty minutes of gameplay that they showed off during like E three or whatever, or not E three, uh, Summer Games Fest, I was like, yeah, it looks fine, but th it also looks weird. Like there's something wrong with it. I can't quite place my finger on it. And it was all the RPG kind of numbers and and stuff like that. It, it, it didn't look like it was going to be Assassin's Creed Black Flag. It looks like it's going to be Skull and Bones, which of course is kind of what you want, but 
then again, like, yeah, I mean, part of the, the part of the appeal of Assassin's Creed Black Flag is being the pirate on the ground, sword fighting, stuff like that. And it seemed like that kind of stuff wasn't going to be in the game. And uh, they confirmed that it wasn't going to be in the game. Um, your ship was pretty much your, your only abode. Maybe they're changing up the game to not be always online. Maybe they're changing up the game to not be such a crafting and, you know, material-grabbing nightmare. I don't know. The only thing I do know is is that this game is going to come out, and I don't think it's going to be nearly as good, maybe not good at all, not not nearly as good as Dead Island 2. Dead Island 2 was such a good experience, such a surprise after being in, in development hell for so long, and it's getting its first DLC soon, um, and Skull and Bones is still trapped. It's still trapped in this development cycle, this development hell, and I don't think... I, I mean, I'm predicting that Skull and Bones is not going to wow people quite like Dead Island 2 did. Um, so we'll see what happens. Like I said before, obviously two different companies developed, you know, developing Skull and Bones and, and Dead Island 2, but I think that it's a good comparison, seeing as both these games were revealed kind of like at the same time back in 2017, and it's taken them this long to come out. Like Dead Island 2 just came out earlier this year, and Skull and Bones was supposed to come out last year. Think about that again. A day before God of War Ragnarok, they were planning on releasing this game. And kind of like one month before the game's release, they delayed it until this year. And then they delayed it again until later this year. And now it's delayed until next year. So we shall see how it all comes out in the end. All right. Disney Dreamlight Valley will not be free to play when it launches after all so um that was the main pool of this game was hey get this early adopters edition get all this new cool stuff as the game gets built and developed on um and then other people will, will be able to play later on when it's free to play later uh, later on uh, but now it's going to cost forty dollars uh instead of zero <laughs> initially it was planned to be a free-to-play game uh, the developer Gameloft had made a decision to sell Dreamlight Valley for a premium in like an early access mode uh, with different tiers. Uh, but now, when the game leaves early access on Defe on December fifth, players who want to still buy the game will need to pay forty dollars for the standard edition. In a blog post, they said, "As we look ahead to the official launch, with the le learnings we've gained from early access, we've made the decision to remain a paid game for the foreseeable future." This choice ensures that Disney Dreamlight Valley will be able to continue develop the delivering on a premium game experience for all players. For anyone who already bought the Early Access Founders Pack, nothing changes for you because all your purchases will just kind of be there, along with new, uh, free uh, extra moonstones for buying the game early. So there you go. Um, I'm sure the game's great, you know, and, uh, you know, Disney Speedstorm also was supposed to be free to play eventually, uh, and that actually went free. To, I believe that went free to play not too long ago. Um, so I don't know if they have more faith that Dreamlight Valley is going to be a longer standing game because it is kind of like an Animal Crossing game with Disney characters, uh, and you know uh, Disney Speedstorm is literally just a racing, a, a terrible racing game. So you know it's it's one of those things. It's like okay, all right, I can see why they're doing it, but also like ah, but. Ah, uh, but, ah, uh, all right, fine. Anyway, uh, that's that. Um, Disney Dreamlight Valley still coming around on the 5th of December for $40 now instead of free-to-play. 
which is unfortunate for the people who were excited to get into the game for free and then maybe buy things afterwards if they like it. All right, this year has been the year of just, like, developers being treated pretty unfairly. We had Redfall, we had Lord of the Rings Gollum, and now we have Skull Island Rise of Kong. And in a article uh, speaking to The Verge, a current and former developer from the studio who made uh, Kong Skull Rise of... I'm sorry, Skull Island Rise of Kong, uh, Iguana B is the studio name. They want to be anonymous, though. Um... They admitted that the game only had a year-long development cycle, which is why you see things like JPEGs for cutscenes, or really horrible animations, or just a really, in general, buggy game and, you know, cr- crappy game. Uh, so in this, uh, in this article on The Verge, um, they said that the game is a result of being built from scratch with a strict one-year deadline. Anywhere from 2 to 20 employees worked on it at any one time. A developer also said that the development process of the game was started in June of last year, and it was en- it was aimed to to end on June second this year. So one year development process. The crunch was set in motion in February. The person who was speaking said they were on autopilot by the end of February because all hope was lost for the game. Uh, so essentially, they just compiled the game together. It they, it worked well enough, and they released it. Is <laughs> essentially what happened. Um. This is, of course, an arrangement that the studio has taken before, uh, which is a, which they described as being a vicious cycle for them. Uh, they make original games. The studio takes on contract work for big publishers, um, and they say it's a love-hate relationship because we, of course, have to accept these projects to make money, um, but then they don't give us the, the means to develop the game anything further than mediocre, essentially. Um so previously, Iguana B worked on titles like What Lies in the Multiverse, which was a puzzle game that did pretty well on Steam, and they also uh, did a game called Untold Tales, uh, which also received some pretty good reviews. Um, but uh, as we co- compare Kong to Gollum, things kind of line up where you know the studio wasn't given enough time, not enough resources, uh, not enough passion, maybe uh, because of the burnout, they they stopped caring about the project. So. Um, Right now, Kong, I'm sorry, Skull Island, Rise of Kong, not only has it been made fun of across the board by big YouTubers like Moist Critical and stuff like that, or people like that, uh, but it's also been pretty panned in the in the, in the the ratings, and uh, it, right now it has an all-time peak player count of 22, which is just uh, terrible. Um, the game currently has eight p- players. <laughs> And on launch day, it had 22. So, yeah, it's not. I mean, it's a bomb. It's a bomb. And uh, I, I, like I said, when the game was originally revealed, don't buy this. It looks like crap. And I was right, which is just another reason why you should share this podcast around and tell people, hey, Yummy's smart. He knows when things are going to be crap. I predicted that Gollum was going to be crap. I bought the game because I, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, not that big of a King Kong fan. I mean, I, I like King Kong. But if you're going to play a King Kong game, just play the one that was on the Xbox 360 and PS3, uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong, the v- official video game of the movie. Um, that's going to be your best King Kong experience, whereas this is just going to be some trash that's going to be on sale for about $10 in a week, which is when I will buy the game and stream it. Don't quote me on that, please. Oh, God, why did I say that? <laughs> Shit. 
All right, Apex Legends is finally adding cross-progression at the end of October. That means if you play the game on PC, uh, Xbox, PlayStation, or Switch, uh, you'll be able to progress across all uh, all the different platforms um, with their new Ignite. I guess Ignite is the new system they're calling it. Uh, in a blog, they said, keep an eye out for an in-game prompt to, in- to initiate the migration to bring together your content and progression. Cross-progression data will be associated with your EA account. Due to the nature of merging accounts across platforms, various ex- uh, uh, various aspects of Apex Legends, like coins, crafting materials, etc., et will be impacted differently. So it's about time that they've done this. I mean, this game's been out for, what, five years or so at this point? Um, but, hey, it's better late than never. I guess the game came out in 2019, so I guess it's about four years, right? But anyway, on October 31st, they'll be introducing the uh, cross-progression. So, there you go. Gangs of Sherwood, which is a co-op action top-down game that I was kind of interested in. Uh, got a last-minute delay here. Uh, this game, I believe, is coming to Xbox Game Pass. Um, but uh, in a post by the developer, they said, Dear players, in light of the abundant feedback gathered from the Gangs of Sherwood demo period during October's stream Steam Next Fest... Our team has decided to defer the game's official release. Originally scheduled for November 2nd, um, we now are delaying it until the 30th of November. This additional time will be used to fine-tune certain aspects and incorporate some improvements requested by the community, giving Robin his Mary and his merry men the chance to step up their preparations for their confrontation with the, ar- the, with the armies of Sh- the Sheriff of Nottingham. Gangs of Sherwood will be available on November 30th on PC, PlayStation, and Xbox. Please accept our thanks in advance for your understanding and patience. See you soon. So, um, yeah, I think the game looked good, and I don't. I, I guess I didn't really hear anything about the demo, but from what we saw in trailers and stuff like that, I thought it looks pretty good. I mean, yeah, you know, it's a it's a it's a top down beat 'em up co op game, so I don't know how much lasting power it's going to have. Um, but in general, I thought like it has like a steampunk aesthetic. It's got you know some pretty fun character looking characters in there. Um, maybe I'm not going to buy it for full price, but if it's on your Xbox Game Pass, I'll definitely try it out. Um, so, yeah, there you go. All right, apparently there's a spin-off Far Cry project in the works called Project Maverick, along with Far Cry 7 being developed at Ubisoft as well. Uh, this Project Maverick game is reportedly going to be a battle royale, essentially, where you um, it's a multiplayer-focused project which is going to launch before Far Cry 7. Um, an insider in the game, an insider gaming reported that the team is a, is aiming for an April 2025 release with Project Maverick, which is probably going to be like a multiplayer spin-off extraction shooter. So it's kind of, I guess, it's kind of like a battle royale kind of thing. Um, it's going to be set in the Alaskan wilderness, also known as Alashnika. <laughs> uh, for now, none of this is confirmed, of course. So keep, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but Seems pretty plausible. I mean, Alaskan Alaskan wilderness would be kind of cool, I guess. Who knows where Far Cry 7 is going to be based, though. Maybe it's going to be in Alaskan wilderness, too. I don't know. Or maybe it's going to be somewhere completely different. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But it's cool that uh, Ubisoft Montreal is working on the next game in the Far Cry series. Hopefully it's better than 6 and 5. And uh, whatever the other one was, the spinoff one was. So, yeah, I guess we'll wait to hear more for about this game. Probably going to get some information next year, I would say, for both these games, Far Cry 7 and Project Maverick, if they are real. <laughs> we'll probably be seeing stuff about that 
in the coming year when Summer Games Fest comes around next time, I think. All right, Alan Wake 2 is getting a New Game Plus mode and also an alternate alternate narrative nightmare difficulty. So uh, essentially, uh, in New Game Plus, you're going to retain all your unlocked items and weapons and upgrades. The new nightmare difficulty will be available, and a new alternate narrative, including new manuscript pages and new video content, will be available as well. Still to be determined when this is going to come, so it might be within the next month, might be within the next year, hard to say. Um... But yeah, it uh, looks like they're going to be adding some stuff that a lot of people like to see. Of course, I always want to see New Game Plus at the beginning of a game's launch, but uh, I understand wanting to get the game out and then worrying about a New Game Plus later down the road. I understand that, but it's one of the things that I like to see early on because you know that the game is fully, fully done when it comes out. Although Alan Wake, as I mentioned before, it is a full experience. It's definitely worth playing now, um, but this will... This will maybe get some more players to come back to it later on, I guess. But as of right now, it's all too to be deter- determined, so we don't know exactly when they're going to get this upgrade out, uh, update out, but I'm guessing probably by the end of the year. All right, let's switch over to the final part of the show, which is what's coming soon. All right, Arizona Sunshine 2 finally has a release date. This is a... <clears throat> PSVR 2 game coming out, and it's coming around on the 7th of December, 2023. The first Arizona Sunshine game was a pretty good standard zombie-killing affair in VR. It looks like Arizona Sunshine 2 is definitely doing more uh, and making it kind of more goofy because you can play around with like zombie parts and the zombies themselves. So, yeah, it seems like it's going to be a pretty good time. Also, they revealed that co-op is coming back for this game, letting you and your pals slay the undead hordes together with a range of weapons that now include a flamethrower, melee options, uh, and many, many weapons. Um, so yeah, should be a pretty fun time. The trailer looks pretty good. Um, I was enjoying myself. Haven't really played, uh, played VR since I finished the Zombieland game, which kind of speaks more about the VR than anything else, I, (laughs) I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, this looks, I mean, it looks pretty fun. Like, it looks like it's going to be a pretty good, uh, pretty good zombie killing time. Um, so if you want to check that out, that's coming out the 7th of December. It looks pretty good. Might make, might get me back into the headset. Spirit of the North 2 has been announced for the PS5 and I believe other platforms as well. Um, I originally played the first Spirit of the North game back when it came um, back when I first got the PS5. Oh, it looks like it's coming to Steam, Epic Games, Xbox, and PS5. Um, and I thought it was like a mediocre experience. I didn't I didn't think that it was like super fantastic. Uh, this game does, it, I mean, the trailer does make it look uh, a bit better in terms of graphics and possibly gameplay, but uh, we won't really know until we get there. But it looks like you can, you have like this bird companion that'll that'll fly you around. Looks like you can grab stuff with your mouth and do puzzles and stuff like that. So that's already a step up from the original game, which I just think is kind of a bit lackluster, a bit mediocre. Visually pretty impressive, but nothing else really. But uh, yeah, Spirit of the North, that'll be available... Uh, to be determined, nothing yet, but in the future, probably next year so, sometime. Still Wakes the Deep. This game was revealed during the Summer Games Fest this past year. Um, this is coming from the same people who did Dear Esther and Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. So you can kind of know what to expect here. There's probably going to be a lot of walking and visual stuff going on. Um, this looks like it takes place at some sort of derelict or, I guess, run-down oil rig and uh, essentially, it looks like it's going to be kind of like a supernatural kind of game um, where you're just trying to 
I don't know, solve the problem of what's going on. I'm not sure exactly. But the gameplay that they showed off, which is available on IGN's YouTube channel, doesn't look bad. I mean, obviously, it's a lot of walking around and not much to, to speak of in terms of gameplay-wise. But, from I mean, compared to everybody's gone to the Rapture and Dear Esther, this is definitely a, a, a big leap from those games in terms of, like, interactability and stuff like that so yeah i mean it looks kind of good looks pretty good i should say um still wakes the deep is coming in 2024 i believe it's coming to xbox and playstation and steam so if you want to check that out the trailer is available now looks looks kind of good not gonna lie looks looks kind of good blasphemous 2 is getting a last gen port which is coming in november so the xbox one and the ps4 will be getting a official blasphemous 2 version um and that'll be coming on the 2nd of november um, obviously, Blasphemous 2 came out with a praise across the board. Um, I got distracted and forgot to go back to it, but I—I I mean, I got pretty far in it from uh, from uh, from where I le- from what I can remember. <clears throat> so I definitely got to go back and 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 try and get get through this one because I was I was enjoying the game. It, it's still it's it's a pretty good game. Um, I actually wasn't enjoying it as much as Blasphemous 1, though, so take that with what you will. But anyway, uh, the game is coming to last-gen consoles, PS4 and Xbox One, on November 2nd. All right, a game called Rip Out is a cooperative horror FPS shooter. Oh, that's kind of redundant. (laughs) FPS shooter, first-person shooter shooter. Okay, yummy. Uh, Where players use biomech pets to rip off weaponry off of enemies while exploring randomly generated space hulks. Um, it's going to launch into early access on Steam, which is already actually already available in, on Steam right now in early access. And uh, currently, the game is going to be coming to PS5 and Xbox um, later after the um, after the beta, or I guess early access, is done. Um, so yeah, you'll delve into derelict ships uh, with, uh, with you and a co-op partner, and you'll fight genetically altered monstrosities that inhabit and that inhabit them. Uh, these nightmares are capable of grafting smaller mutants to themselves, strengthening or reconfiguring their physical forms as required, which also explains why the guns can transform and change as well, which is pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this game looks pretty pretty cool. I I kind of I kind of want to get the early access on Steam, I guess, because it actually looks really cool. <laughs> I know I've said that three times now, but it I mean the trailer does it justice. If you want to check out the trailer, Rip Out Game YouTube channel, check that out. It looks pretty cool. I said it fourth time. <laughs> All right, Star Wars Dark Forces Remastered is going to come to the PS5, PS4, Xbox One, Xbox Series S, and Switch and Steam Woo! Uh, in February. Um, on the 28th of February, they're going to release the remastered version of the game. Uh, like I've mentioned before in a past episode, it's going to have some redone visuals, re- reworked saving and stuff like that, so... It's a Doom-esque shooter that came out uh, originally on the MS-DOS in 1995, was ported to the PS1 later that year, and I believe it also came to the Nintendo 64 as well. Um, this 29-old title, uh, back in the day, was met with some lukewarm reviews, apparently, but uh, it's kind of become a hidden gem, I guess, in a lot of people's minds. People kind of like this game. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to check that out, Next year, on the 20th of February, the remaster is coming around. I will say, you know, from... I, I, I mentioned this last time, but there's something about the aesthetics of, like, the pixel art graphics for the cutscenes that really makes it charming. And when you take those pixel graphics out, it kind of makes it more of a bland-looking game. So we'll see how I feel about it when it comes out, but I am excited to play that. 
Hotline Miami is getting a collection that'll bring both the games to PS5, Xbox, and Switch. Um, it's available right now. If you want to check that out, it's called the My Hotline Miami Collection. Um, so if you want to check it out, it's about $20 for the collection. Um, it includes Hotline Miami and Hotline Miami 2, wrong number. This is a top-down, fast-paced, violent action game. Uh, the original game was quite the sensation when it came out, and the second game was met with some pretty good reviews. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you want to check this out, uh, two for the price of one, I guess, uh, Hotline Miami Collection, available right now. All right, we got, a, we got a new game coming from the same people behind Power Wash Simulator and Velocity 2X called Ikaro Will Not Die. Uh, this is described as a lightning-fast-paced action-adventure game featuring roguelite elements. Um, obviously, this is a step, uh, a bit of a different step than Power Wash Simulator. <laughs> um, this is essentially a spiritual successor to the Velocity 2X, which is a pretty fun uh, Metroidvania-type game as well. It has top-down shooter elements, uh, bullet hell elements, as, uh, along with side-scrolling elements. So uh, they didn't really show off too much about it. The trailer itself was about a minute long and really didn't show much of anything, but it does look like it's going to go back to being more of like a fast-paced bullet hell kind of game, except you're playing as like a, a character who has got some beat-em-up qualities to them. So, yeah, um, maybe kind of in the same lane as like a Ghost Runner, except not maybe it's not a one-hit kill kind of scenario, but... Uh, Looks pretty exciting. Looks pretty cool. So um, I'm definitely going to check this out when it comes out. Uh, right now, I don't believe they have a tentative release date. Uh, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. Also, right now, it's it looks like it's going to be coming to Xbox Game Pass. And looks like it's only going to be coming to Xbox Game Pass for a little while. Uh, because they did not reveal any other platforms except for Xbox. So if you want to check out the trailer for this, it is on Xbox's YouTube channel. Coming from Thunderful Games and Future Lab. Looks like it's going to be pretty cool. Speaking of Power Wash Simulator, the Back to the Future DLC is coming to the Switch and other platforms later next month. Um, it's going to be coming out on the 16th of November. So if you want to jump into Power Wash Simulator and wash up the DeLorean, Doc's Van, uh, the, the Time Train, the Holomax Theater, and the Hill Valley Clock Tower, uh, you can do that for about uh, $8 on the 16th of November. Um, I was right about most of these that you were going to be cleaning. DeLorean, Doc's Van, and the Time Train were ones that I predicted. Uh, so, hey, one point for me. Um, but, yeah, uh, this DLC follows the other ones like SpongeBob, Tomb Raider, and Final Fantasy. So, uh, hopefully it's going to be just as good. Annapurna Interactive has released a collection of 12 games on one Switch cartridge. Uh, the 12 games you can get for about... $200? Damn. $200. The 12 games you can get are Donut County, Goragoa, Hindsight, I Am Dead, If Found, dot, dot, dot. Kentucky Route Zero TV Edition, Neon White, Sayonara Wild Hearts, Solar Ash, The Artful Escape, The Pathless, and What Remains of Edith Finch. Now, it is a pretty good collection of games. Not only do, are, like, five of these games, like, highly acclaimed, uh, but all of them are pretty good in general. Um, especially Neon White, Solar Ash, I've heard really good things about. The Artful Escape, a lot of people love. The Pathless, which is a full-fledged 3D, I'm sorry, third-person action game. What Remains of Edith Finch is obviously an old-school, like, really good game from back in the day. And other ones, like Donut County, Gogora, and Kentucky Route Zero also have pretty high praises as well. I didn't really enjoy Donut County as much as the other games on this list, but, you know. 
I would say the star of the show is Neon White and um, Solar Ash. The Pathless is probably what ups the price a bit more than you would expect. But, um, yeah, uh, it's a physical collection on the IM 8-bit store. You can pre-order it now. There will only be 2,500 co- uh, copies available of the collection for $200. Um, so it also comes with a Annapurna-themed Switch carrying case, a art book, and, of course, the physical versions of the game. So if you want to check that out, um, go over to I Am 8-Bit's website right now. And finally for today, Nintendo has expanded its Switch Online and N64 library with another game. This time around, it's Mario Party 3, which I believe is the final Mario Party for the N64. Uh, It is available right now, so you can check out the game if you have the expansion pack uh, for the Switch. Um... This is one of the last games that they revealed for the service uh, next to a couple more. I don't remember exactly which ones are still yet to come, but uh, this is one of the final ones that they revealed initially when they announced the, the, uh, that, it w- that these games were coming to the Switch uh, Nintendo Online service. So uh, hopefully they, they have plenty more coming because I've been enjoying the drip feed of new games coming to the service all around. Um, so hopefully they keep it going. Hopefully, keep it going, and we keep getting more games because it's becoming more and more of a good deal as the as the months go on. So, yeah, if you want to check that out, it's available right now, along with all the other Mario Parties on the N sixty four, and plenty more games. Hopefully, to come. All right, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show, which is guess that song. If you can give me the name and the uh, the name of the song and the game that it came from. I will give you a free super reaction in the Discord, or if you comment on this episode, I will give you a heart and give you a hearty congratulations in the comments. Um, If you know the song, let me know. And here it is right now. Well, I appreciate you swinging by and listening to this episode of the Ferris 64 Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you're listening to this on YouTube. If you're on Spotify, make sure you rate it five stars. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave me a review. I'd appreciate that. Uh, These episodes come out every week, and I'm pretty consistent with doing that. So I hope you appreciate all the hard work that I put into this. If you want to check out the final review, I I snip out a full review of a game and put it on YouTube with visuals and stuff like that. Uh, If you want to check that out, those come out usually a day or two after the podcast episode. I also do another podcast called Film Freaks with a Z where we talk about movies with a group of friends. The most recent episode is about the Benchwarmers. The next episode is about The Host, uh, which which was the one directed by Bong Joon-ho, not the one that was by the Twilight Woman. (laughs) And then um, I also live stream Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. We're finishing up Days Gone. So hopefully we'll be done by that with that by the time that November runs rolls around, and then who knows what we're going to be playing in November. November is Bunger Month, uh, which is a um, thing that I created so that um, you can request any game that you want that's on my backlog, and I will I will ga- I guarantee I will try and get to all games. I guarantee I'll play most of them throughout the month, if not all of them. 
Um, so uh, all the information for that is in the Discord. Link's down in the description below on YouTube uh, if you want to join. And other than that, uh, anywhere else you want to check me out, it's all at Yummy the Ferret, whether it be Twitter, YouTube, uh, YouTube VODs channel, stuff like that. Um, anyway, I am Yummy the Ferret. I appreciate you listening. I'll talk at you uh, next week. Bye-bye. The Ferret 64 Podcast is owned and edited by Yemi the Ferret. The song Nightshade, used in the intro and outro, is owned by Adhesive Wombat. Small sound clips during the podcast were made by Yemi the Ferret. News sources include NintendoLife.com, PushSquare.com, and PureXbox.com. All opinions video game related are my own. Thank you for listening.